Well, we can turn back to the letter of Jude, and we can read again from verse 19 or 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Don't know what you thought as we read that letter. It's a very graphic letter. As Jude um, describes what life was like amongst the readers to which he was sending this letter. I suppose we could say, as a subtitle of his letter, we could call it, What to Do in Dangerous Times. Because as we can see from what he says in his letter, there were dangers. Some of the dangers came from outside the church. Some of them came from inside. The dangers from the outside, well, they would be obvious. Be things like uh, persecution and opposition to some extent. Inside, well, there's false teachers and they are just passing on their views and we might find it surprising given what they were advocating but they were making inroads inroads to such an extent that Jude who had intended to write about something else was compelled to write this letter because he saw that there were dangers and therefore he just gives advice to these people in the first century what to do in dangerous times I suppose a question we could ask about that is have the dangerous times stopped? Have they changed? Are we facing dangers today? Some dangers are obvious. They're just like a juggernaut coming, charging towards us. Other dangers are more subtle, just like how a little rot can get into a building and with the passing of time it collapses. So, 
I think we all know that we are living in dangerous times, at least dangerous times spiritually. There may also be dangerous times in an external sense. One thing that can be marked said of the world today is that everything is very uncertain. We don't know if there's going to be a nuclear weapon sent to Ukraine. Nor do we know what the consequences of that would be. We don't know if all the current energy crisis and the food crisis are the climax of the problems or the start of the problems. We don't know. We are living in uncertain times. And not so long ago, everything seemed to be certain. But that's no longer the case. So what do we do living in dangerous times, uncertain times? But also times in which God is in control. Jude, when he wrote this letter, he knew that his elder brother, Jesus, was sitting on the throne of God. We today, in the midst of all the turmoil and the confusion, and indeed the distress. We know that Jesus still reigns. I think sometimes we imagine, or would like to think, that when Jesus reigns, everything is straightforward and smooth. But often... That is not the case, because there are other powers at work in our world, and we have to live with that kind of tension of knowing that Jesus rules, and yet the perfect world is not here yet. So today, I'd like us to think what do we do in dangerous times? And one of them is to pray in the Spirit. Because that's what Jude says to his readers that they should be doing. He mentions several things that they should be doing in verse 20 and following 21, 22, and 23. <clears throat> but um, one of them is pray in the Spirit. I'd like us to think about great th three things. Um, one is a great discovery that we can make. And that second one is a grand responsibility. 
And the third one is a great opportunity. A great discovery. I wonder if we were to interview Jude, which of course is a which of course is impossible. But if we were to interview him and ask him, what was the greatest discovery you ever made? I wonder what he would say to that in answer to that question. Well, he could say, I discovered that my big brother was God. That was a true true discovery. But would it be his greatest discovery? We know that there's two books in the New Testament written by brothers of Jesus. One is Jude and one is James. But neither of them actually mention that they were his brothers. But they were. Would it have done Jude any good if all he had discovered was that his big brother was God? Or maybe he would answer the question by saying, I discovered that my big brother was perfect. He would say to us, in our home in Nazareth, there were, in addition to Jesus, there were four sons, and we're not told how many daughters, but at least there's two. And these four sons and daughters and the parents, Joseph and Mary. None of them were perfect. But there, living with them, was one who was perfect. And Jude could tell us times when that showed itself. He could list lots of things about the four brothers and the two sisters where they failed. But he couldn't list one occasion when Jesus failed. So, would have done Jude any good if that's all he could say. My big brother was perfect. I think we all know that these two details in themselves wouldn't do any good for him. Maybe he could say to us, you know, family members leave home. Where's Jesus gone to? 
He certainly went to a very unique place, didn't he? When he left home, spent a few years teaching in Israel. Then having, after having died on the cross, he ascended to heaven. Jude knew that. And he could tell people, yes, my brother is in charge of everything. All power given to him in heaven and on earth. But would that help Jude? It is possible for one family member to climb to the top of the tree. But that's no guarantee that other family members will get any benefit. But Jude, well, he would say, and we might find this a bit surprising, but he would say, I now know more about my brother than ever I knew when he was living with us. I'm now closer to my brother than ever I was when he was living with us. When he was living with us, we didn't believe in him. Indeed, one day, Jude could say, Our mother took us, boys, down to Capernaum to rescue him. Rescue him from himself because he was saying all kinds of unusual things. And we just thought there's something wrong with him because we didn't believe what we now know he is. He went to heaven. Forty days later, while Jude was sitting in the upper room, as we can read from Acts 1 and Acts 2, the Holy Spirit came down. And Jude discovered something about his brother. That was really extraordinary. He discovered not only had he risen from the dead, not only had he ascended in triumph, but he actually wanted to bless people that had crucified him. And the Holy Spirit came down there in Jerusalem. Of course, Jude by that time had accepted that his brother was the Messiah. But even though he was far away in heaven, I wonder how far away heaven is. 
It's not too far. It's when a believer passes away. The journey is instantaneous. Absent from the body and present with the Lord. No time gap. But Jude would say to us, My brother, forgive all my sins. My brother, send the Holy Spirit into my heart. He wasn't in my heart all the times I was with him growing up in Nazareth. And that's why I didn't understand him. But now that he has ascended and the Holy Spirit has come down, I know him far better. I know his heart. I know his love. I know his wisdom. I know his grace. That was a great discovery, wasn't it? But Jude would say to us, You can know him as well as I do. Not because I lived in Nazareth with him. Because through all those years, I didn't know him. Of course, I could identify him. But I didn't really know him. And he would say to us, you and me, We're on the same level as far as knowing him is concerned. And we come to know him the same way. Jude came to know Jesus when Jude repented of his sins. And until he repented of his sins, he didn't know his brother. But by the time he's written this letter, he's been serving his brother. And he discovered that repenting of sin and trusting in Jesus makes you a servant. And here he is, serving his brother, sending out this letter on behalf of his brother to others who have trusted in Jesus who also had made the great discovery and I hope we have made it too it's not enough to know it's possible to make a great discovery What's actually necessary is we have to possess it. Knowing about it, in one sense, is just the same as knowing about anything else. Merely knowing about it doesn't take us an inch closer to heaven.
but possessing it. That's what's essential. And if we don't possess it, obviously, we haven't got it. So Jude would say to you, trust in Jesus. But that's a great discovery. But Jude also points out a great responsibility. And he does that there in our text in verse 20. And what is the great responsibility? Well, the great responsibility is that in dangerous times, we have to live as Christians. It's a fairly obvious point, but it is a demanding point. But what does it mean to live as Christians? What is the Christ-like way? Well, Jude tells us, and he tells us some things that we have got to do towards God and some things we have to do towards people. The things we have to do towards God Well, they're mentioned in verses 20 and 21. And the things we have to do towards people are mentioned in verses 22 and 23. And they're not presented by Jude as if they were two options. Take one but not the other. The things we have to do towards God, well, we have to build yourselves up in your most holy faith. That's one thing to do in dangerous times. A second thing to do towards God is how we pray. Pray in the Holy Spirit. And the third thing we do towards God Keep yourselves in the love of God. He doesn't say, if you pray, God will keep you. But he does seem to indicate that if we pray, we will keep ourselves. And the first thing he says we're to do is we're to look ahead to the second coming. We are waiting For the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Just think about these things for a minute. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith. He's saying that what we believe should make us bigger isn't he? The doctrines of our faith, they enlarge us. They expand our minds. We discover what God's plans are. They fill our horizon. We're to build ourselves up in it. 
It's a most holy faith. It's not something for speculation. Nor is it something for us to select which aspects of it we like. We are to do it, build ourselves up in every aspect of it. And God's word is given for information, certainly, but it's also given to transform us. Because although we're living in dangerous times, God's holy faith tells us what the future is, that there's glory ahead, and we have to bear that in mind. We have to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. I'm going to think about praying in the Spirit later, so we'll just leave that one just now. We're to keep ourselves in the love of God. That doesn't mean that God is going to stop loving us. But it does mean that we can put ourselves outside the enjoyment of it. Doesn't it? And the thing that puts us outside the enjoyment of it is just by doing something wrong. We are to keep ourselves in the love of God. That's fellowship. Spending time with him. I mean, God will not fill your diary and say, these are the times to come to me. We have to fill the diary. We have to keep ourselves in the love of God. Fellowship? Well, that's just sharing. Imagine sharing things with God. What does he want from us? Well, in a certain sense, he wants from us what we want from him. Love. God doesn't need anything material from us. But he does say, give me your hearts. He wants love from us. And we want his love in our hearts. And then there's the fourth thing, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. As Jude looks ahead to the return of his brother, he thinks of what his brother will do. I mean, no doubt he saw his brother come home every day and maybe showed them what he had done in the carpenter shop or something like that. But these kinds of returning are not going to happen again. But he is going to return. And what's he going to have in his hands when he returns and meets his people? Those who have trusted in him. What is our Savior going to have in his hands? Mercy. 
Remember what Paul said about Onesiphorus? The man who wasn't ashamed of his chain. He said about him, and Onesiphorus is a dedicated believer. He says about him, may he find mercy of the Lord on that day. What are we looking for on that awesome day? What is Jesus going to show to us? Mercy. And mercy is always undeserved. But his hands are going to be full of it. Mercy. Everyone that meets Jesus on that day will then be made perfect in holiness. But what a history they have. Mercy. So these four things are needed in desperate times. Pay a heed to doctrine, pray in the Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, and anticipate mercy. As far as people are concerned, Jude mentions three kinds. And on each of them, we are to show mercy. That's how we live in dangerous times. There's those who doubt. The false teachers have confused them. Be easy to go up to them and give them a row for being so silly. Jude says... Show mercy to those who doubt. Be compassionate. They're the easiest ones to deal with. The second ones, snatch them out of the fire. You know, fire is dangerous. It can spread. These individuals have put themselves into the fire. Jude says to his readers, it's your responsibility to get them out. Snatch them. You need strength for that. But that's what we would do if we saw somebody in a fire, isn't it? We just can't leave them. Snatch them out of the fire. Jude doesn't say. Leave it to God to snatch them out. He says to them, you snatch them out. But they're not the worst or the most dangerous, or the most difficult, to whom we're to show mercy. We're to show mercy even to those whose lifestyle makes us shudder. We're to show mercy with fear. Hating even the garments stained by the flesh. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Mercy is not an attitude. Mercy is activity. In dangerous times, be active. But be active in mercy. Then briefly, the great opportunity. Pray in the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, here are some suggestions very quickly. What does the word in tell us? Praying in the Holy Spirit. If I say I'm in a house, it tells my location. If I say I'm in the house, I should be able to assess its atmosphere. Anytime you use the word in, it's referring to some kind of location. If I say I'm in a rage, that's my location. If we're in the spirit, it's not just who are we with, but where are we? We're with the Holy Spirit. The atmosphere for prayer is a sense of the holiness of God. That we have stepped into another room, as it were, where the atmosphere is so different. Praying in the Holy Spirit does require us to realize where we are. At the same time, when we're praying in the Spirit, surely we are conscious that he's the helper. I mean, Jesus there in the upper room talks about all kinds of um, spiritual activities. And anybody with any sense of self-awareness as he reads all these kinds of spiritual activities will say, I can't do that. But Jesus says to them, yes, you can. Because I'm going to send someone who's going to help you. The comforter. The one who's come alongside. And he comes alongside us in every spiritual activity. Whatever that spiritual activity might be. So when we pray in the Spirit, we should anticipate his help. He's not there just as a silent observer. He's there to help us to pray. And we should always remember that as we 
pray in the Spirit. He is the only one that has been authorized by heaven to share the things of Christ with us. Ministers are not authorized to share it. They're as much dependent on him as anybody else. But the Holy Spirit, as he comes as the helper, in what ways is he going to help us? Well, it's as far as I can tell is just by conveying the things of Christ. Other things, they're not his responsibility. But when he comes to help us in our Christian lives, he is authorized and he is delighted to do it to give to us out of the things of Christ. Things of Christ are a huge range. But how if each of us were to ask ourselves, and I ask myself, what did the Holy Spirit give us today as we prayed? He's a helper. That's why he's there. Of course, when we're praying in the Spirit, we'll ask according to his word. And Jesus, as we know, told us what to pray for. We already said it in the service, the Lord's Prayer. His disciples asked him a straightforward question. Lord, teach us to pray. And he gave them a straightforward answer. Doesn't mean that we have to use the words literally all the time. But it does mean our prayer should be in line with it. And what he highlights in that prayer is what we should pray for. And of course, one of them is mercy. Mercy for ourselves and others. Should also be aware that sometimes, and I'm sure we've all had this, we come to God and we don't know what to say. And that should be quite normal in dangerous times. One of the most absurd things in dangerous times is experts telling us what they know nothing about. And it's almost just as strange to listen to them. But sometimes we'll find ourselves not knowing what to say. And what happens then? 
the Spirit takes over. The Spirit says, or Paul says, that he leads us to groan. Groaning is a very appropriate reaction in dangerous times. And there's much going on in our world today that if we're not groaning, we're not looking. That the Holy Spirit, you know, our groaning, groaning for perfection. And he takes that to God. And the last thing, praying in the Spirit, we know we're going to get answered, don't we? Because if we're praying according to his will, they will be answered. So these are things about life in dangerous times. Life in 2022. We got great discovery, a great responsibility, but a great opportunity. Shall we pray?